Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, listeners. Joe here. Just a quick announcement before we start. Now, this episode, our Agent Carter Season 2 bonus episode, was recorded last week a couple of days before the announcement came that Agent Carter was not being renewed for Season 3. That obviously came with news as well that Marvel's Most Wanted, the ABC Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. spinoff, also not moving forward. We do discuss season three possibilities in this episode we said they were unlikely so you know we weren't too far off um but just so you know we're not just being stupid this this happened after we recorded so agent carter sadly not coming back for season three um and now you can listen to why that is particularly sad news in this bonus episode enjoy Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick. And James Hunt. Now, this is a bonus episode, so we are going to be diving straight into our discussion of Agent Carter Season 2. Be warned, our discussion will be spoiler-filled from the very beginning, so you might want to jump out if you haven't seen the show yet and still plan to unspoiled. Um, There are lots of people who haven't seen the show yet. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Um, We should should probably start this then, yeah. The show's ratings are absolute garbage, and we're probably not getting a season three. And given that what we saw in Captain America Civil War... Um, and I won't say exactly what that is, just in case, you know, people don't want spoilers on that as well. Um, but, uh, you know, would you be surprised if we saw more Peggy Carter at this point? Is is this maybe it for Hayley Atwell in the MCU? I mean, it does sort of feel like, they, you know, her story has been told, doesn't it? <laughs> hmm. I mean, there's a big missing chunk of the actual formation of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I imagine that will come back at some point, but... Yeah, <laughs> and the dodgy timelines with the one shot and the and this second season and we um, that might be the one area of Marvel continuity where just things don't make sense. I think the one <laughs> shot, yeah, just has to be kind of quietly folded out of the picture, really, as yeah. good as it was. Um, yeah, although I would like to see Bradley Whitford turn up at some point. Yeah, I'd almost like what what if we had like an like there was that one shot, wasn't there? The um, the one where they go and talk to Tony Stark, um, which they basically put together to make the continuity make sense mm. after Iron Man 2 destroyed it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What about one last Agent Carter one-shot or something like that? It could start off with 
um, Captain America saving Agent Sousa in uh, the war. <laughs> and then we we cut forward and maybe Peggy is telling a bedtime story to one of her kids and she has to rush out on a mission or something like that. And I don't know. I, I, when, I get still... you've confused us for Kevin Feige. <laughs> <laughs> I would still really quite like to see um, a bit more of 80s and early 90s S.H.I.E.L.D. as seen in Ant-Man. Um, I think that would be good fun. I mean, I still have an issue with the fact that um, I can't buy Dominic Cooper and John Slattery as playing the same character, and I wonder where the point comes where... Like, if they were doing stuff set in different decades, at what point would they make the switch from Cooper to Slattery? Um, I I like them both as Howard Stark. How old is Slattery supposed to be in the 90s? Um, (laughs) Because... I mean, Slattery's not that old. Well, exactly. And (laughs) So Dominic Cooper here, you've got to assume his place in the world has to be at least 30. This is the late 1940s. So we're talking about him being, what, like... Like 80. At least 75, 80, yeah, by the time... <laughs> and by like, the events what, that being, you see in Ant-Man Being Civil nearly War. 60 when Tony was born, if you go by <laughs> Civil Wars, you know, with him being a teenager in... Is it 91? Yeah. yeah. And he's like Tony's like 19 at that point or something. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, if there's one thing that, you know, uh, the Marvel movies have got right... Um, as far as adapting the comics goes, it's the chronological timelines do not make sense. You just have a sliding <laughs> timeline and you just have to go with it. That is it. Well, in uh, This is way off topic. In Civil War, where they're like, oh, the Avengers have been going for four years or something. And you're like, have they? Have they, though? <laughs> well, they have, because the current Marvel movies just take place in the years that they're set. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. But like... Iron Man came out to the world in 2008 and the Avengers formed in 2012 and now it's 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it feels like they're kind of grasping a bit. <laughs> um, well, we should probably talk about this show. Um, what? So, season two, um, in a nutshell, I guess, Peggy moves to LA uh, to be part, to work out at the LA office where... Agent Sousa, who we last met in season one, is now running that office. Agent Thompson is still in New York. He's running that and he is very career driven and is being um, coerced by people who might be able to progress his career. Um, The villain is Whitney Frost, who is a Hollywood actress who gets infected with something called Zero Matter. Um, and that turns her generically evil and power hungry, um, and she wants to do something with the zero matter, which you might have to explain to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, Peggy, with the help of people like Jarvis and um, a new scientist called Wilkes and Sousa and Rose and uh, a guy called Aloysius who works in the uh, who works in the office in LA <laughs> they all team up in, in various different times to try and stop Whitney Frost um and it's a whole pile of fun right yeah oh yeah like the the thing that strikes me about this series is it's the only thing Marvel have done on TV which comes even close to having the same feel as the the movies like yeah, it's much just, more so than Agents yeah, of Shield it's like really it's genuinely funny and it's great fun and like the characters are engaging there's just there's not a bad note in it well it, actually there's one bad note in it but we'll get to that okay it feels to me like it as well it has the influence of the era in which it's set 
So, like, if the current movie Marvel Cinematic Universe reflects maybe the comics of the past 10 or 15 years, then maybe this, in terms of some of the stuff that's going on, is a bit more reflective of some retro comics. There's uh, there's lots of there's lots of slapstick humor. It feels like a very it feels like it ha- like it starts off with a mystery that feels like it comes out of a Hollywood noir, and the whole the whole relationship between Peggy and Jarvis has a a slapstick Hollywood vibe. It's kind of screwball, yeah. Yes, yeah. so screwball the whole thing. Yeah. Um, although weirdly, that that's where the screwball stuff is with the actual romance. The romance <laughs> is is less screwball. Um, the yeah. romance is a little bit. Well, we get we get a love triangle here, don't we, between Wilkes and Susan and Peggy, um, and I don't know one one side of that love triangle was just always being given the short straw, wasn't it? Yeah, like I don't know about you guys, but just the whole the the one big problem that I was alluding to earlier is that I never really bought the idea of Peggy and Wilkes no. having any mm. kind of like even just the character of Wilkes was so. So sort of bland and nothingy. Like all he all he did was kind of grin at Peggy for yeah. about eight episodes, and then he got angry, and then they sort of checked that out and ignored it again. Like yeah. I, just I mean, I, I everything about him was was underdeveloped and bland. There was yeah, bland, no charisma, nothing. When I, when I looked up who the character was based on, I I mean maybe I shouldn't have done that early on because I just then spent the entirety of the series waiting for the point at which he became the villain. And obviously, in the end, I, I have no really, idea. He was uh, who is he? Oh, so. he's he's a total throwaway uh, villain. I'm going to have to bring up uh, Wikipedia because I can't even remember exactly. <laughs> I think is he from an Ant Man story, maybe, or so, or is it even just it's a tales? You know, one of those um, random tales to random anthology ones. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's he's just from a story in Tales of Suspense from 1962. <laughs> um, and he's basically a scientist. Well, this is this is all it says on the Marvel Wiki page. Jason Wilkes was a scientist who was contacted by a communist agent who offers him a million dollars for research into an invisibility ray. The man's greed makes him accept treason, and he succeeds. But he finds that after testing the ray upon himself, he has become intangible as well, and has no way of turning on the switch of the antidote ray. Uh, so, so it's a classic style intangible bit twist and story. Else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but even so, be just purely based on the fact that the character, you know. I mean, not a villain as such, but was you know the sort of um, the the character who gets punished in a classic style nineteen fifties twist in the tale story. Um, I would have thought that that might lean towards, and obviously they then it then looks like they might go in that direction with him suddenly and quite unconvincingly turning on everyone. <laughs> but yeah, I do sort of. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't like saying this when a show that I mean partly by its nature because of when and where it's set is you know, very white and sort yes. of, you know, the one major black character. So I don't like saying this, but I, you could have, you could really have chopped Wilkes out of the series entirely and spent more time on other characters and mm. it wouldn't have been any the poorer for it, I don't think. Yeah. And I didn't understand anything that was going on with him and the Zero Matter. I mean, so he has the Zero Matter, which makes him intangible. It briefly turns him evil. He then explodes and then is fine. And I just, I, I, I mean, mostly this was a series where the actual ins and outs of the plot I really didn't care about. Um, mm. The the show se- did seem to be more focused this season on having just one coherent story. 
So every mission was related to Whitney Frost, whereas it felt like it took a little bit longer in the first season for the Leviathan, st- Leviathan stuff to come together. Yeah. Um, but I, it really didn't matter to me because what I liked here was, like I say, the like Hayley Atwell is still really reliable when it comes to any kind of action. And the show handles that pretty well on the budget it's got. Um, the humour is great. The fact that the show will pause in, you know, just after we've seen our hero being kidnapped um, in a cliffhanger at the end of one episode to do a song and dance number at the start of the next one. or that, <laughs> Which you know, is great. That is one of the... Yes. Re- I mean, oh, it, yeah. it, 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 there's no reason for it to be there, but it's absolutely <laughs> one of the highlights of the series. Well, it gets, it's a reason to bring Angie back for a scene, which, was, <laughs> which I thought was nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that we can be having like um, a ridiculous scene where Peggy is infiltrating Roxon and just wipes Ray Wise's memory 10, 12 times. <laughs> or that... Um, Jarvis can be having a gun pointed to his head and we can have a li- an elaborate gag about him putting down the condiment and doing really over-the-top movements. I mean, I thought Jarvis was really superb in this. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't really like the let's randomly shoot his wife in the stomach and then make him angry for a couple of episodes because... I did, didn't really feel consistent with the tone of the rest of the show. No, um, really, I mean, yeah, for a for a show that, and you know, we we can talk in a bit about some of the other reasons why I think this is the case. I mean, I I, I don't think Agent Carter is a feminist show just because it happens to be about a good woman character, but I think there are specific thematic and plot stuff that that points that way. Mm-hmm. So to then, yeah, go down the route of um, oh, and this female character has been shot in the stomach, so now she can't have children, and that's a great tragedy, and and you know, it's just a bit. I mean, it, I'd hesitate to call it a fridging, but it did seem done more than anything in order to get the reaction it's out of Jarvis. Yeah. And it's definitely in the realm of fridges. Yeah, but then the the reaction and I'd really you get out of Jarvis is well. the reaction that you get out of Jarvis is to remove him from all of his wonderful character traits to begin with, and he mm. just kind of has to realise what an idiot he was being and go back to being goofy, lovable sidekick again. Because mm-hmm. um, I I love that character in this. I think he's um, an absolute delight. I lo- like in the very last episode where he is getting upset that Peggy has booked a taxi <laughs> rather than getting a lift from him. Um, that's probably yeah the, the quint- that's going to be like the quintessential Jarvis moment that the the, bit yeah. of the taxi. <laughs> I but mean I, I, that like that's that plot does lead to that really good scene between them in the desert though, which is something like. Yeah, you you get this kind of really intense emotion out of it, like so. It's not just all fun and games; like they can actually. Mm. And it's a it's yeah. a quite they strong payoff their to to their relationship as a whole and sort of their dealings together and stuff. Yeah, sort like of even confronting you know, the reality. She's, of she's it. angry at him and you know dislikes him, but as soon as she realizes something's wrong, like it goes straight to concern. Like it's a really good beat. Yeah, and I think that reflects back on the similarity between the movies and this show in that it it is able to, you know, in the middle of scenes where the stakes are very high, to switch the tone like that. And, you know, you can go from a silly thing, which I believe is... It's literally five minutes earlier that we're having the song and dance scene, and then they're having that kind of argument out in the desert, and it's... Yeah, it's it's. I, I just think it's really well handled, and it's all underpinned in really good character relationships. I think particularly when it comes to Peggy, Jarvis, Sousa, um, 
Jarvis's wife Anna I think is very strong in this and Whitney Frost as well I think is very strong and Dottie when Dottie's around as well and it's I think that that's what holds the show together when the when the <laughs> plot doesn't necessarily engage hugely like I couldn't care less about Zero Matter mm. I mean this is but this has always been one of my complaints about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that like bad writing costs the same as good writing, so it doesn't matter if you haven't got like the effects budget. You you know there are ways to make your show engaging, mm. and I think I think Agent Carter feels like part of the MCU in a way that none of their other TV stuff does, and it's purely down to the tone and characterization and stuff. Mm. It does. Um, I mean, and speaking of that, so could you guys tell me about? zero matter and what it actually <laughs> is because this was one of those things that it's like you say I, I kind of watch stuff in other marvel tv properties and go well that'll never be mentioned again but you do get a feeling from agent carter that it is more connected and i believe from a bit of googling that this dark matter is actually a thing called dark force from the comics yeah i mean i remember when when agent carter started there were lots of articles that were saying, oh, this is a plot element that's going to turn up in Doctor Strange with the kind of authority that suggested they'd read the script and knew that it would. Because otherwise I don't see any reason to Mm. draw that connection. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess, like, I can't tell you much about the Dark Force, just that it's one of those kind of Marvel Universe sort of MacGuffins uh possibly connected to the dark dimension i'm not entirely sure like mm. uh, do you know cloak and dagger joe yeah well that was the other connection i was going to make because obviously it's been re- announced in recent weeks that abc family are developing a cloak mm. and dagger tv se- series so yeah. that that would seem maybe to tie into that as well yeah so i believe one of well cloak's teleportation power is that he can transport people to and from the d- uh, the dark force dimension Right, okay. And that's that's tied in with his powers. I mean, yeah. like there's no there aren't any hard properties I can I can tell you about it. Just that it's what like it's like the power cosmic, it's just a thing that people have that allows them to do whatever their gimmick is. Hmm. It does seem it does seem funny that um this is the T V show that seems the most closely tied to bigger Marvel continuity. But because of that Agent Carter one-shot is one, the one property that has probably <laughs> broken Marvel continuity when when nothing else really has. Um, but uh, I, I think, I, I, you know, I think it's telling that Peggy has been the character that the movies have still been interested in telling stories about whilst the show is going on. Because, you know, Agent Coulson's been around for four years since he was killed off on screen. <laughs> And you haven't seen any of those movies tempted to reference Agent Coulson or what's going on in Agents of Shield. So <laughs> it's true, actually. If you if you if you didn't watch or know anything about Agents of Shield and you just watched the movies, you could be entirely operating on the assumption that Coulson was still dead. Can you? Mm. Yeah. No. You. Uh, I, and I think probably that's that's what Kevin Feige would like you to do. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so, so that was what the zero matter was. Now, Whitney Frost, who is Madame Mask in the comics, but never wears a mask here. Or am I wrong? Does she? Does she ever put a mask on? There's that masquerade scene, isn't there? That sort of vaguely yeah. alludes ah, to. It. I, yeah, I did kind of assume that the that the black stuff was going to kind of take over her face and she was going to end up wearing a mask yeah, me like too. Madame Mask. I think they probably <laughs> think wanted everyone, everyone to did. think that. <laughs> um, what, what's her actual power set in the comics, Madame Mask? Uh, she's just like a spy. She uh, She's the daughter of a character called Count Nefaria, 
who is kind of super powered, but she's just a sort of espionage type. I think she's. I'm pretty sure she she's like a Tony Stark level engineering genius, but mm. no no right. powers. Which I, I know about as much here. as her as you do because I've here. I've basically read her in those Hawkeye issues and a bit of Brian Bendis uh, New Avengers. So right. I know I don't know very much more about her than you do, and and my my image of her would be based almost entirely on Hawkeye essentially. Right. Okay. Well, I, I you know I thought she was really cool on the page from from that exposure that you're talking about, um, and. I like I liked her a lot here as well. Like I say, not that not that her plot really um with the zero matter really engaged, but I found I find I found her as a character very engaging. I perf- I found the performance very engaging. I think was it uh whenever the mm. uh the actress. Mm-hmm. Um and what I liked was the I think we spent a lot of time when we covered season one of Agent Carter and that we, if you know, if you want to go back and listen, we did a full episode on Agent Carter back when we were doing, back, back, back when we were finding our feet on this podcast. And um, we talked a lot on that one about the feminism on the show and the feminist agenda and um, how the show kind of had its cake a little bit and ate it as well. Mm. Um I thought it did a lot better job in this second season, given that it was kind of well established by this point that Peggy was, you know, a woman in a man's world who had been trodden over by men. But she as a character was used to it, accepted it and just went about subverting it constantly. It didn't really feel as rubbed in your face as much like this is what this show's about early on. And I think that I think that helps because it all it also didn't feel like this time it was kind of flaunting that as well, you know, having that agenda whilst ignoring it as part of the storytelling because well, it was more, all it was of the more... strongest characters on the show are female, I think. It, I was gonna say this time was more more show than tell wasn't it like that if anything that was the problem with the first season was that mm. they spent a lot of time sort of putting the text of their feminism on the screen and then yes. having her walk around in her underwear whereas this time the the text of the feminism is subtext well it's really it's woven really neatly into the Whitney Frost story early When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today on with her being a mm. an aging Hollywood actress and the attitude of the people around her and the fact that she wants she has the intelligence um, and the means to get 
power but is held back by her gender but we're not it's not explicit it's just that you know when she goes and meets that council of old white men um <laughs> it's just a very striking image seeing her stood in the room in front of all of them and um, I, I i really liked when it went back and did her origin story and I, and I said this on twitter at the time after watching that particular episode but essentially whitney frost in this is a supervillain whose origin story is uh, she was a woman who men kept telling would be prettier if she smiled. And and basically everything that, that happens to her afterwards is a result of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that as a... Because that's not a... You know, that that isn't a theme that gets explored all that often. Um, Especially and, not in superhero fiction. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I slightly felt that I think by the nature of the kind of the Zero Matter plot, I think Whitney started to get pushed... Um, I think that just she reached a point where she had kind of done and said everything that the show had to say with her. And then for the last few episodes, she's just kind of there in the background as the villain. Yeah. But I, I feel like sort of thematically and, and character wise, her story's sort of already over. And the show sort of becomes, I think, slightly to its detriment, more interested in Wilkes. And it also places quite a bit of emphasis on, and I've forgotten his name, but the mobster guy. Uh, oh, Ken Marino's character. Yeah. Um, um, Manfredi. Manfredi, yeah. Who Although is- he makes one of the best scenes in the final episode is when oh, he is interrogating that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he, you know, that, that character's fun and he has a lot of fun with it. And, and I like this, the, um, you know, the unspoken, not exactly unspoken, but just, you know, not really remarked on fact of Stark turning out to be friends with this guy who's this yes. pretty nasty gangster. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, obviously, you know, Stark, Howard Stark is a, a hero in this show, essentially. But, you know, in in earlier iterations of the kind of the Iron Man story, you know, Howard Stark is the, the weapons manufacturing father that Tony is trying to move the business away from. And it's it's <laughs> worth reminding that, that Howard isn't actually, you know, 100% whiter than white, really. No, I yeah, um, I I I I, re- I think the show also does a really good job with its use of Howard Stark. Um, it doesn't bring him in and go like, "Look, it's Howard Stark. We got one of the people who was in the movies to show up." <laughs> it it just kind of goes, "Oh, Howard's back, and let's just use him. Let's just use Dominic Cooper as best we can in this particular episode." To be fair, like I do feel like they could have done a slightly better job of explaining why he just randomly disappeared for like six episodes at a time it's called just, preacher I, <laughs> I just i just thought that he didn't need to be there like oh, yeah, it, it, this like, wasn't this wasn't what he was interested in this was as an, an ssr mission in the first series he was the focus of it this it's just oh what's peggy getting on with oh yeah i, re- it's, it's, I really like the when they've got this like scientific problem and he there's one episode where he's hanging out with them helping out and then he shuffles yeah. off <laughs> he's a busy guy <laughs> i liked the flashback to the scene from season one where jarvis is helping peggy over the phone and anna jarvis says to him she's like um uh, and who was the man on the other end of the phone he's like oh no it's a woman a friend of uh howard starks and she looks at him like mm. and he goes no 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 i think she's different from the others i think he respects her and and to go back to that idea of the show and the way it deals with the feminism i thought that the or the misogyny in this world at least that that it is there it is an agenda that the show has and it explores it with the amount of depth the amount of depth that i would want from a fluffy action adventure abc marvel tv show like this isn't trying to do what jessica jones is doing 
Um, and I, <laughs> I feel like it explores it with the amount of depth a show like Agent Carter needs to do. And yeah, just does a much better job in this second season than it does in the first. I think, and- um, I mean, because you, you were talking before about sort of, you know, the sort of the sexism in, in the SSR kind of in the first series and what, you know, the first series is really heavily concerned with everything that Peggy is battling against. In this series, that is not present within the SSR. She's still battling against people in the SSR, but it's for reasons that are specific to her and her relationships with uh, people like Jack. Um, and the SSR is kind of just... It, it just is fully accepting of the fact that Peggy is there and is an established agent. And then you've even got... Um, is it Rose, the... Yes, um, yeah, the yeah. receptionist. Um, I mean, you know, all the stuff with her and and Aloysius is brilliant. Um, but you know, it's just it's just an accepted fact now that they have women being agents there. You know, well, I, I, uh, just a, just an aside. I love the relationship between um, Aloysius and Sousa. The, <laughs> the, the, the just the way that Sousa looked at him every time he made a dig about not being appreciated. Um, but on. On that, and on Peggy not really coming up against the misogyny within the SSR anymore, but you see her constantly coming up against people in the real world, and it is normally those old white men who are council members. Um, it's it's mostly that she it's it's not something the show needs to go. Oh, this is a thing that is gonna gonna happen. It's a it's an assumption from Peggy going in that they are gonna underestimate her because she's a woman. And it's often those scenes where she dresses up and she puts on an American accent and she uses her appearance as a young, attractive woman to wrong foot the people that she's going up against. Um, and I think I think that's just a much more a much more elegant, subtle way of dealing with those issues than the first season, which I think its heart was in the right place. I just don't think it really, it really hit that stuff home. And there's a, there's an episode in the middle where I just thought, wow, like for a superhero or for a Marvel property, this show is just smashing the best old test, the best old test of pieces. There was uh Peggy and Dottie chatting in a van and then uh, we had Anna and uh, Whitney Frost going head to head and Whitney Frost was interrogating Dottie at one point and I, I just thought like, oh, here are four really great, strong female characters in this show. Um, and around them you had characters like um, Jack Thompson being the kind of the putz who is not realising that he's being used and you've got... Sousa, who is the guy who is yearning after Peggy rather than Peggy yearning after Sousa. <laughs> and you've got Wilkes being the bland sap and you've, <laughs> and you've got um and you've got Jarvis doing the the comedy stuff. I thought, yeah, this is great. The the real strong characters of this show, the really the like the pillars that are holding this thing up are the female characters and the men are kind of the supporting cast around the side and it's mm-hmm. it's it's exactly what this show should be, mm. and yeah, like I say, if if the if I cared a jot about the plot, I would be over the moon about this second season. Um, it it just kind of fizzles out a little bit, though. I I don't really care that I don't really care about the plot because <laughs> no, exactly. I don't yeah. I don't yeah. care about the dark matter plot. But as far as the plot goes, I I always cared about what was going to happen to the characters, mm. um, because the character work was so so strong in the show, and and that was what kept me watching. Partly the sense of fun, and partly actually genuinely wanting to know what would happen to them and and with them um you know I, I think it is one of the strongest ensemble sets of characters in in this area you know i mean i 
I love the Flash, but I think I like most of Agent Carter's supporting characters more than most of the Flash's supporting characters. Um, and the Flash does have a, a pretty great ensemble, but um, yeah. yeah. Um, and you mentioned Dottie, and I know she's not in it loads, but I think we at least have to talk about her a bit. Because I can't she's... talk about Agent Carter and not talk about Dottie and how amazing she is. <laughs> I preferred her in the second season to the first. And yeah. actually, like I, I kind of just... I wanted to know a bit more about what she was going to do next and what her place in the world was. We know, the, um, the, we know in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that the Black Widow program continues, so it's not like the Soviets have completely folded um, and the Winter Soldier program is obviously going on as well. So there is a place for Dottie in the world and I'd love to see her. I'd love to follow her for a season of her own journeying back to Russia. And <laughs> I just, I just really love that they've basically set her up as she is the master to Peggy's doctor in that it's not just that she's the arch enemy. She's the arch enemy who sees herself as the best friend. And, and, the, and as far as yeah. she's concerned, they are both a vital part of each other's lives. And she will go out of her way to make things difficult for Peggy. And if given half an opportunity, would probably kill her, but also wouldn't really want to if she stopped and thought about it, because she knows that life <laughs> would be much less interesting without Peggy around. I like this thing that she sees Peggy as the only other person who is in any <laughs> yeah. way yeah. an yeah. equal to her. Yeah. Which, which bothered me when she was knocked out by Thompson. I've got to admit, I was yeah. like, no, that wouldn't happen. Mm. <laughs> can I uh, can I hit you with a, a crazy like and probably well definitely incorrect fan theory? But what if Dottie is actually the um, the character who we see training um, Black Widow in the Black <laughs> Widow program? Who is um, it's the Julie Delpy character? Yeah, I mean we can call that fanon if you like. Yeah, that in as far as cinematic universe fanon is um, concerned. Dottie grows up to be Julie Delpy. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, I what what I really liked was that the the begrudging respect that those two characters had for each other, um, and them constantly trying to wrong foot each other, and kind of not let their own individual mask slip in front of the other. <laughs> it's mm. the it's the the plan where they're like, well, we're going to send you in to do our bidding. And both of them are thinking, like, this isn't going to go the way you think. Yes. <laughs> like, it's just a really fun dynamic. Yeah. It's it's a shame that they that they couldn't find a way to keep her around for the entire season. But uh, I kind fair, of get fair the feeling, play for finding a way to get her in this. I get the all. feeling that they were saving her for a third, like, to be the major villain of a third season. Because they, they put her right in at the start. And then they held off for so long. Mm. It was like they were, you know, building her up for something. Well, speaking of which, I mean, we're not. I think I think it's almost certain we're not going to get a third season un, unless. Um, I guess I guess maybe it, the the only way I think that we kind of get, could get a third season is if the the pilot that Haley Atwell has filmed for ABC itself does not get picked up, and that maybe Agent Carter moves over to ABC Family alongside Cloak and Dagger rather than being an Agents of Shield compa- uh, companion show. And I mean, then I, you don't just, know whether its chances might be affected by that Marvel's Most Wanted, the Mockingbird Lance Hunter spin-off going forward. Because presumably ABC and Disney and Marvel still want a certain amount of Marvel on the airwaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't understand why they why they didn't put it on Netflix this time. Like maybe you know, maybe it was contractual or something, but you just sort of you imagine if they're 
dropped it in one go on Netflix, it would have got so much more traction than sort of spinning it out week by week. To people it worked better as a show to to watch, you know, sort of not necessarily watch the whole thing in a day, but certainly, you know, two or three episodes back to back. Then again, I think some of it was broadcast in, in that way anyway. Right, yeah. Um, I think they doubled up a few weeks. They but, did rush it out. Yeah. yeah. It was just a mess, the scheduling. And you did get the impression that having made this thing, they just wanted to get rid of it. it, was, it I don't understand like... why they don't have the same attitude to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, Well, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is only coming back so they can communicate <coughs> it, isn't it? So, you know. Mm. In this case, although I, think, I hear people who watch it still saying that it has got a lot better, apparently. I, I hear people say that, but then if you lasted three seasons of Agents of Shield, <laughs> like demonstrably, your quality control <laughs> dial is broken. I mean, I would, I would like to catch up with it at some point just to see what it has <laughs> been doing, but I is haven't it? had the willpower to start on season three. I watched <laughs> the end of season two when the cliffhanger was fish oil. I was like, okay. Think yeah, in, in humans. Yeah, which yeah. um, <laughs> so, so was a yeah. We haven't a spoken funny, about funny, that, have we? There was a there was a funny joke on Twitter. It was Dem Farachi saying, "Well, congratulations, Agents of Shield. This is what you've done with a link to Inhumans being taken off the release <laughs> schedule." <laughs> yeah, we never never touched on that, did we? Uh, I think I briefly mentioned it on the mini sodes, but yeah, Inhumans yeah. has gone and. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe they're just gonna leave. <laughs> they're gonna leave Agents of Shield to do what they want with them now. But yeah, just quickly back to Agent Carter. I kind of get the feeling that they they didn't want to promote it because they didn't have confidence in it. Like I'm, I can't imagine why, but it felt a bit like they they thought, well, if we spend any more money on this, we're not going to make it back. So well, it wasn't a dead cert to come back for this season anyway. I was shocked that it got ten episodes instead of eight. I thought it yeah. was eight, and I was I. You know, I was watching this. I had all the episodes recorded on Sky Plus, and I was going, "What? I've still got five left to watch." Oh man, okay, it's a ten episode series. <laughs> I can't understand why it got a, a bumped up episode order. Um, it, it seems like it, its ratings were always struggling on ABC, and that it didn't handle it well, and that they've got even worse. You know, it took so long for the show for the first season to make it over to the UK. It it aired on Fox eventually, but there was mm-hmm. maybe something like a six month gap between the two seasons rather than a year. Maybe and then season two ran really closely, um, bizarrely. Oh yeah, well yeah, so they put season two out kind of as it aired in the US, but it had just taken them six to nine months to actually get the first season on there whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I mean, I think this is probably it, barring something going wrong with the other Marvel TV shows. Um, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe some one shots, or maybe. I, I like the idea of doing just... TV movies. Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember yes. if that was something I thought of or they floated. But definitely, I was thinking you could bring these characters back for a kind of, you know, hour and a half of fun, just to wrap up some storylines. Yeah. yeah. Can we do like... some? T- can we do some silly time travel where Agents of Shield just like <laughs> in, in the season three finale, Coulson falls through like a time warp hole or something and like on, ends up just in on a personal level. Shield. On a personal level, anything that gets Jarvis back on TV is 
you know, he's, I'm happy with. He's wonderful. Because that if if they do no more Agent Agent Carter, he's going to be the biggest loss to the MCU. <laughs> him, him, and Dotty. But yeah, maybe um, I'll do this as a future pitch on the podcast about how <laughs> how you continue Agent Carter <laughs> in another form. Because I was thinking, I would love to see a spin-off show. This was actually inspired by the Captain Britain suggestion on the on the last podcast. I was thinking, how great it would be if. Uh, Peggy and Jarvis went over to London to set up like the Shield UK branch and started recruiting <laughs> British spies. Yeah, can the, can, like, can like BBC not commission Avengers. that? <laughs> can they? Can they not? Can BBC not go and get the rights and, and do that as a yeah. co-production? It's like an um, Avengers Avengers crossover. It would be fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's just you know, it's not a perfect show at all. But here you've got a show with a really strong sense of itself like it has a tone and a feel and a setting that are that is really strongly consistent it's got its own place in the MCU doing its own thing while also feeling like a really strong well connected part of it it's got a really strong lead character who is a beloved character from the movies or beloved by some people anyway from the movies Mm -hmm. played by a really good actress it's got really good supporting characters played by really good actors around her it's fun it's well written it actually has something vaguely different to say within the genre and it just you know as i say while it's not perfect it just saddens me that a show like that can just so completely go down the tubes when other shows that aren't a patch on it, and I'm not just talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that shows get to continue and people carry on watching them because it's just... I just don't understand why more people didn't watch and enjoy this, because... If you you know if you're into Marvel and what Marvel does and what Marvel is good at and Marvel Studios is good at, why would you not be all over yeah, this show? Because this is ticking you boxes. Yeah. I do... I, uh, what you said about Netflix, James. Um, I believe that there are there's it's it's a I think a technically different studio that make the ABC shows and make the Netflix shows. Um, okay. Because I, I I remember that when there was the whole Ike Perlmutter fallout, there was there was like a I can't remember exactly what it is, but there's a separation between those kind of shows. Um, uh, and I'm not sure which ones are actually closer to the movies. But, like, I mean, which... even so, in the in the case of being able to move, like Agent Carter, being able to move Haley Atwell and uh, my me Dominic Cooper, uh, like being able to move them between the studios, like clearly it's all Marvel in the end. So there's yeah yeah yeah. Know, if they if they did another Agent Carter series and put it on Netflix, it would do better than it would ever do on ABC. Mm. Well, hopefully there is some... I mean, Marvel normally find a way to keep the pieces on the board that they want to keep on the board. And, um... <laughs> Live, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, may- maybe we will see Peggy Carter again. Um, and, you know, my fingers are crossed. Um, I was in HMV the other day and I was looking at the Blu-ray of Agent Carter season one. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I, you know, maybe I'll wait until the second season comes out and buy them together. Uh, but then I was like, oh, it's it's um, it was either twelve ninety nine or two for sixteen pounds. And I asked the guy, I was like, I can't see anything else that's in this deal. Like, what is in the two for sixteen pounds of it? Because I was like, eight pounds for eight episodes of Agent Carter. That seems like decent value to me. And he was like, oh, the um, the only other thing that's in the deal with it is um, Marvel's Agents of Shield. And I went, you're okay. I'm not paying four pounds and a penny for, or three pounds and a penny for extra for Agents of Shield. 
even to get Agent Carter cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I, I will indeed wait until there is a season two. Um, okay, guys. Well, I think that's it for our Agent Carter bonus episode. Um, some of us will be returning later in this week with another bonus episode, um, that time on Daredevil season two. That They will fill the gap before our next main episode, which you'll have to wait for... Um, a post-credit sting to find out what that is, unless you know you're looking at what's on at your local multiplex next week, and you will you will be blissfully aware of what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everyone is really relishing it based on those reviews as well. Yeah, the re- as at the time of recording, the reviews came out yesterday, and mm, interesting. Uh, <laughs> well, um, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of days' time with Daredevil season two. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.